Hey friends, before we get this party started, I want to take a moment to give a big warm shout out to our newest Patreon, Lisa M. Thank you so, so much for supporting the podcast. I am sending you right now at this very moment, a big warm virtual hug. I know you can feel it. And if you too are interested in getting your very own shout out on the show and a virtual hug from me, please consider supporting us on Patreon. The link to that is in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this upcoming episode. Welcome to the Yoga and Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Weber. I am a yoga teacher and embodiment teacher here in beautiful Austin, Texas, and I am so, so curious about all things yoga and, and lately I've been interested in the people in the mind-body world who are contributing to their communities in creative and innovative ways, and really this podcast is about celebrating these people. Today we'll explore the subject of yoga and the moral compass. I'm especially excited about this episode because I'll be interviewing for a second time friend of the show as well as an amazing human being, Christine Anderson. When you get a chance, check out her previous episode she did with us, Yoga and Living Life Off the Mat, episode number 26. Today we will discuss all about yoga and the moral compass. The conversation even touches on religion and even upbringing, and Christine will explain the yamas and the niyamas. This is quite an interesting and vast subject, and I know you will get something out of it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode, y'all. Joining us on today's episode was a previous guest on the show. Check out episode 26, Yoga and Living Life Off the Mat. She is a yoga teacher, teacher trainer, and body worker based in Austin, Texas, Christine Anderson. Hey, Christine. Hi, super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you're back. How are you doing today? Wonderful. I always just get excited to see you and chat with you about all the things of yoga. So thank you for having me back. Yes, and I'm really excited about um, this topic, but would you want to introduce yourself just a little bit more for the listeners? Yeah, so I'm, like you said, I'm based in Austin. Um, I am originally from Chicago, so some people will sometimes point out my accent still, which I think is funny, because I never knew I had one until I moved here. Um, And yeah, just yoga and all the things. you know, it's interesting, I, I was thinking about today, like wh- who I am in this world of the labels, we could say, and um, I teach teacher trainings in public classes, and um, currently everything's online, which has been an interesting shift as well, but, and yeah, that's about who I am in a nutshell. Cool. So what is your definition of yoga? Yes. Um, I really believe, you know, the deeper I dive into this practice and the teaching of it, that it is finding, coming back home to the truth of that connection with our highest self, with our body, 
and how we interact with it and with our mind. And then more importantly, what I've really been considering is our finding union with community and how that looks. So that is really the umbrella and I think it encompasses not just our personal experience, but how we engage with others as well. And that, that to me is the truth of yoga. Mm. I like, I like how you bring the depth into defining yoga. There's, there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, today's episodes about yoga and the moral compass, which I just love that you wanted to do um, an episode on that. I think that's such a fascinating topic, the moral compass. How, how would you define moral compass? What does moral compass mean to you? Yeah, you know, I never really thought about it until I really started to swim in the waters of yoga. And, you know, I had my upbringing as a child was in a, a Catholic church and we, it wasn't very, um, something that my family was like super integrated in, uh, but it was definitely present. We had like Sunday school and, you know, these sorts of things. So I was presented with these ideas of morals. Um, and I remember specifically having to like go to confession, um, and I remember like having to make something up to confess and it oh, was, wow. yeah. And I was just like, maybe I was mean to my sister or, you know, something like that. And I really, what it didn't come from within. And, mm-hmm. um, and then actually when I kind of left that world and was struggling with identity. And I mentioned this before in the previous podcast about my adolescent years. And also during that time of, uh, I was, you know, partying and drinking and all these things, but I was also looking for more meaning in my life. And I explored like astrology and Buddhism, um, but it was all on my own. I didn't really get to go deep with it. Um, And then by the time I got to right before college, I was introduced to yoga, but I also got thrown, I don't even want to say thrown, that sounds kind of harsh. Um, Somehow I found my way into a very strong Christian community. And that was like a reintroduction of what I was brought up with, but a whole new way. And I quickly was reintroduced to these moral practices. And I saw the lifestyle people were living. And then I started watching and I saw a lot of guilt and shame Mm. in these individuals. And it was very much presented as this is right, this is wrong. And I kind of felt conflicted at that point because I could see that they were looking for a compass to live by, but at the same time, it was creating that guilt and shame that didn't seem very helpful and, you know, made people kind of live in the shadows. You know, we're very nervous to be authentic and vulnerable in themselves. And so that didn't really settle with me. And I questioned a lot um, and I kind of gave the the powers that be um, some pushback and not maliciously, but Uh because that was confusing. And then when I started really diving into the philosophy of yoga, I realized, wow, this, this is what I've been looking for this whole time is to have some moral direction without feeling dogmatic. And that to me was like 
the Pandora's box opening. Mm, it, it spoke to you. The hardcore extreme other religion did not, it sounds like. Yes, yes. And I think I, that's, that's the yoga is it's, you know, we live in, we've been raised our society in such as like black and white, like right and wrong. This is true. This is not true. Mm-hmm. And life is so much more, there's so much more colors in between that spectrum, right? Um, so it felt limiting. Yeah, that's a great way to put that. I, 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 can, I can identify with what you're saying, similar Christian upbringing and then finding yoga. And it's like, oh, this, this feels right for the first time. This is the first thing I found that made sense. <laughs> Truly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so how did yoga cultivate tools for you understanding your own moral compass exactly? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, I've always been very reflective um, and inquiry-based, and I think that practice is really important. That's why I was always questioning. (laughs) Um, Uh And that's one of the pillars of yoga is the aspect of self-study. And actually, I will say, when I first moved to Austin, I actually was helping open a small church. And yeah, yeah. I know people are always like, what? Yeah. I moved here with two other couples and that's what brought me to Austin actually. And we were on a retreat within the first year and I was writing like a year reflection about everything that I was experiencing. And in that moment, while I was writing, we were like in Wimberley, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I got up, I had this like huge epiphany that that didn't, this path was not serving me and it was very superficial for me and surface level. And I literally got up from that retreat and said, I have to leave. And I, and I left. <laughs> and wow. again, but it was just this awakening of, Oh my gosh, there's so much more. And I'm, I felt this strong identification and draw to yoga. And that's kind of the, the shift and the turning point where I, I left that part of my life um, and completely kind of moved gears into yoga. I never knew that that's how you came to Austin. You were full of surprises. The more I speak <laughs> with you and get to know you, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot yeah. that, to learn about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people are get shocked when I tell them that. Oh. Let's see, how specific, and I'm thinking you're going to probably touch on the eight limb path. How does yoga specifically address the moral compass in your eyes? Yeah. Um, I appreciate it so much because it's, I speak to it as in the eight limbs, there's two limbs that really are really where I find my moral compass. And those are the yamas and the niyamas which are basically 10 non-religious moral principles. And I found, I find that so fascinating because if I think back on it, honestly, I, I don't even know off the top of my head, the 10 commandments. And and that was such a big part of my life. Uh Uh, And because I feel like they were very, uh, you know, some of them are very parallel into the moral practices of yoga, but they're so much more open ended and they uh, aren't as specific. And I think that that allows us some autonomy 
with how we interact with those those moral practices that yoga offers us and that that's going back to that question of like self-reflection is how are how am I going to incorporate these practices in my life without just someone telling me this is the exact way you need to bring this into your life mm-hmm. you have to figure it out yourself and that's why I think it's so um, liberating because it's your work right it's the individual's work mm. like here's this roadmap but you get you get to decide like where you're if you're going to detour somewhere or not and how is it actually going to what's it reflecting back to you where it goes back to like in the 10 commandments we'll say it is very much just black and white like this is right this is wrong mm-hmm. and that's not how the yoga sutras especially the eight limb path is presented to us. Yeah. I like it. So it sounds like one is taking ownership and the other is an external force possibly telling you what is right, what is wrong. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I feel like that this is the internal moral compass. And, Mm. you know, we, we are inundated with a lot of external forces and voices, of course, Um, and the practice itself is this finding and fine tuning your own inner moral compass. And so when we do that, I think that also we take ownership, like you said, and it also gives us ownership to not point the finger, right? It's like, this is your work. You can't just say, you know, you did this, you did this. It's like, no, this is mine. I have to claim ownership of this, this practice. Totally. Yeah. So taking, it it eliminates that element of judgment a bit as well. Exactly. Completely. And that guilt and shame that I think, you know, it's interesting, like you also had that upbringing. Mm -hmm. I have had it. And a lot of people in the West have, and in our world too, Mm -hmm. and not just Christianity or Catholicism, whatever it is, whether it's Islam or Judaism or Buddhism, you know, we are inundated with that upbringing and it does color the way we see life. And so there was this element for me um, that was unlearning, that I had to first unlearn those conditioned thoughts and habits so that I could actually work with this new material that I was engaging with. I love that. Undoing, undoing yeah. the conditioning and then living a life that's authentic to you and, and basically starting, starting from the ground and then building that up. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, I will say for the listeners who, who still have a connection to some kind of faith, that it also isn't taking away from. And mm. in fact, it can add to and enhance and maybe even perhaps make your understanding of your personal faith more clear or more solidified um, mm-hmm. because it feels accessible. Yeah. Cause yoga is not a religion. It's their guidelines. I would, I would argue, would you yeah. agree or disagree with that? Oh, I completely agree. I was actually yeah. having a conversation with a student the other day who, who really identifies with Christianity and was, was struggling with this. And I think it is a really common struggle. And mm. I will say from, that period of time when I was in Chicago connected with this particular community 
there was a pushback um, and they questioned why I was practicing yoga and that it perhaps could be toying with some um, evil forces, we'll say. Okay. And I actually, for a period of time, like stepped back from my practice because of that external force we were talking about. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like that, you shouldn't be doing that, right? I didn't yeah. make that choice myself. It was an external force. Um, and then I felt that's what actually drove my conflict was that mm. moment of, well, actually, they're, they're very much similar. And in my experience, it was enhancing my understanding of divinity or my relationship with, you know, mm. the, something bigger, right? Um, and that's, it's interesting that pushback I, now I see in hindsight is really what drove me to where I am today. Wow. Yeah. So speaking of the non-religious commandments, uh, would you want to talk about the yamas and the niyamas a little more in depth? Yeah, I'd love to. So these are, these 10 moral principles are found um, in the yoga sutras, in the path, which is called the eight-limbed path. And on that path, you will find asana, which is the physical practice many of us are used to and exposed to, but before we can look at it like rings on a ladder, asana, the physical practice is really the, the third rung on that ladder. And before that we have the yamas and niyamas, which are these 10 non-religious commandments that I was speaking of. And which is really fascinating if we think about it, because in the West we focus on the physical, but actually before that we, there is an introduction to the, the reasoning why we use these practices and we need direction as human beings. We need mm. boundaries and guidelines to help us navigate life, right? If we're going across a sea, a vast sea, you have a compass, right? To guide you. And yeah. that's how life is. It's super vast and open. And sometimes we get lost. And that's why I find so much value to these these principles. So the first and foremost is um, a practice which is called ahimsa um, and really is about nonviolence. And, you know, the more I look at this work, it's even a broader perspective of um, compassion and love. Mm. I think that actually it's very potent right now in our climate of what we're going through, not just in the States, but in the world, and there's so much division. And um, we look at this and nonviolence, you know, obviously we can see how we interact with others and our attitude towards others. And it is also our attitude towards ourselves. And, mm. you know, to go back to that experience of guilt and shame that can be felt in a religious context. Here it's about allowing ourselves compassion to ourselves. And like you said, non-judgment. And I think a lot of this work is looking at your personal narrative. Like what's the story we tell ourselves on any given day? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, so many studies have been shown that most of our thoughts are negative and condemning or criticizing sad but true yeah. yeah yeah so i think for me that was a radical shift like 
awakening to that and seeing like, whoa, like I, I have some thought patterns in there that need some compassion and need some. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just totally associate the ahimsa with negative self-talk and like reversing that or shifting that. Like every time I, I look at the text or I think of it, so yeah, I love that you brought that point up, that specific point. Yeah, and the other day I actually watched um, a film about Gandhi and mm. his life. And, you know, he was such a radical um, man and his life, really he lived nonviolence. And not just personally in his own life, but like every moment was really intentionally nonviolent. And it was, it spoke so profoundly not just to the context of india but really to the world i mean this got out to so many different corners of society and i think when we do this work ourselves individually that just it's like a ripple effect right mm -hmm. people can start feeling it and i think that's why people looked to him because he was living it wow that's beautiful yeah yeah um and then next on that list um, is Asteya, which is non-stealing. And right, that it's very, that's a parallel in the Bible, right? Of uh, mm -hmm. that commandment. And, but then we can like unpack that even more. And I think about um, in the context of our world today that we have cell phones on our, you know, basically glued to us. And <laughs> I've been thinking about, okay, if non-stealing, yes, not to like rob someone or practice, you know, not being a thief, but also to be a thief of our time with one another, right? And you're in a conversation with someone and then all of a sudden you see them on their phone and that's robbing the, that time you have together. It's taking away from that place of connection. And that's been something that I've been thinking about a lot and, and something that I've been personally working on too is it's we're just so that habit is so ingrained in us to like check our phone but when we do that um and i'm again speaking to myself right now too it's signaling to that other person that what is on our phone is more important than the person in front of us yeah so i think you know that to me is that's huge and then also mm -hmm. in the context of when i'm teaching a class I really value honoring if the class is from, you know, 6 to 7 p.m. or whatever it is. I really seek to practice ending on time because if I don't, that's stealing from those students' time that they have after. And if I've brought them to this place of, like, deep peace, and then all of a sudden the class ends at, like, 7.07 or 7.10, then the, their anxiety increases. And that's I love that you bring this particular point up because that is my pet peeve. A student in a class or, um, and then the instructor ends late or um, just it, as a teacher and the other instructor before you ends late, it's like, but it's, a, it's respect. It's you're respecting people's time and then it's a boundary and they feel safe. And if I just... Yes, there's so like that is such a pet peeve because it's also like I will never go back to someone's class if they end 10 minutes late yes. because I don't trust that they're I, I'm I thank you for 
<laughs> saying that. It's like my I totally agree. <laughs> drives me, and that's my work in that moment. I'm like, oh my gosh. But it really does. And if we think of ourselves as a teacher, as you can imagine, like the, the students' experience of like, what, what, what's happening here, right? And then it pushes everyone in this weird place. Um, so that's another way that I think about non-stealing. And, you know, mm-hmm. also like showing up on time, you know, not yeah. making someone wait. It goes both, both ways. Um, and so that's why, again, I, I like love these practices because they're so much more open-ended and it's mm-hmm. not just about thief, being a thief. Um, I mean, we can examine it in so many different conversations mm-hmm. and so many different paths too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then following is, is really beautiful. This one is very, I think, hits home is satya, which is truthfulness. Mm. And I mean, we are constantly fed lives. And I think especially now we're in a place where people are kind of questioning, who do I trust? Who do I believe? Like, is this person or is this people, is this platform, is this really communicating truth, you know, or is there something hidden there? And that being truthful isn't just outrightly saying the truth. It can also be omitting information, like not telling a story or a little white lie. Um, And I almost believe that we're in a society that almost values that, like not being, you know what I mean? We're presented that way. And so what happens is we, we are modeled that and then we can tend to reflect what our society is modeling. And that Mm -hmm. to me is very precarious situation um, and can cause lots of troubling impacts of that. And, um, And I think it's also because people are afraid to speak the truth because people don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Mm. Um, and so they keep, keep information or they don't tell the whole story or they just outrightly lie. And it's very damaging to our, not just to that person who's receiving the, the lie, but also to our psyche. It can eat someone alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I thinking about the small stuff, like just from the feminist perspective of like companies selling you women products that they think they need that they don't really need. And then women feeling doubtful about their beauty or themselves or their bodies because of it. That's a lie we've as a culture and men feel it, too. But just kind of playing off what you're saying that kind of popped into my the pink razors are like five times as much as like the guy's razors and yes you know all that you're totally right like we are we are sold but and that's what media is is we are and marketing is Mm -hmm. we are sold things that we don't necessarily need but it's presented in a way that we need it but really Uh maybe it's just something extra that we want um Uh but that's not sold that way and, oh man, yeah, I didn't even really think about that. And th- that's why it's, it's work is so eye-opening because there's so many lenses to look through of, mm-hmm. um, of this work. And it's, that's why I called it a Pandora's box because even right now, oh my gosh, you know, it's, <laughs> there's so much to it. There's, it's endless. Yeah. Whoa, that, that made me think about a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, following that, um, 
is non-grasping or non-attachment, a parigraha. And I think this is this is you know another one that's just so powerful is just to go off of what we we're just talking about. We live in this consumer-based society, which is constantly selling us stuff, and we think we need it, um, and we want more and more and more because we live in a society that it's like more money equals more happiness but that's a lie too yeah right? and um you know i love my greatest analogy or teacher for this is thinking of like if you have your fist is closed you're holding so tightly on something that you know because of fear that's going to be taken away from you but you know you're like squeezing the life force out of it it's not even ours to begin with, right? We're just passing through. We're like a blink in an eye. And rather than living life with an open palm, yes, that thing that we like want to keep might be taken away. But in the mm -hmm. same moment, we can also be given something brand new that we didn't even realize mm. that was, if, you know, if we're staying open. And I think that's, that's a, an element of trust, right? That we have to, to surrender to that and you know I, th I think actually I will speak there is a, a, a verse I'm paraphrasing it that's in the Bible that says like naked we come and naked we go and I think that really plays over to this idea of non-grasping of you know really everything in my space that I'm looking at that I say is mine that I think I have ownership over maybe here and now in this experience but actually I'm not going to take anything with me. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think we actually get bogged down when we possess more and more material goods that it's like, then you get worried about it and you're, you know, you have this like tendency to be controlling or, you know, it's in the back of your head of, Oh my, Oh, I hope this, this thing is okay. And, you know, but we're not free to live in the moment right, which is where we can experience abundance, but we have been fed this lie that it's the things that will make us happy, but, but that's not true. Mm. Well, it sounds like what, the way you're describing non-grasping, it sounds like if you grasp too hard, somehow you're, you're bound, you've bound yourself to that thing and you can't be free. You can't be truly free if you're holding on with that tight fist, it yeah. sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, you know, the analogy almost of, you can say like you're rock climbing and you're like, okay, I'm going to hold on to this for, for dear life. Because if I let go, I could fall, but it's like, you can't hold on forever. Like you got to keep moving forward and we won't grow. If we're constantly grasping to this thing, then it's like, we can't, we literally can't move forward in life and we won't evolve or transform um, and it, and just like you said, it, it literally starts wrapping itself around you and mm -hmm. it ties you down. And I think about my experiences too, that, um, when I thought I lost a dream job, it was the universe taking it away. And I was, you know, traumatized by it. But at the same time, I really sat with this work and realized, oh my gosh, this is an amazing opportunity to, to see what else is there. And to trust the process of what's going to come. And, you know, I think those moments when we feel really attached to something, that is a signal to us that we are living in survival mode. 
Like we oh. are in primal sense and we are not allowing ourselves to to move forward and up. That is a great point. Have you read Alicia Keys' new book, More Myself? No. It's about that. It's about how, you know, she felt so lucky to get where she was in her career that she wouldn't say no to anything. And she was just wrecking herself. She was so tired. And then finally she had a come to Jesus moment, I guess for lack of better terms. Yeah. And um, she started, you know, setting boundaries and being like, no, I'm going to take a 15 minute break between interviews. And, um, and she no longer, cause you know, she come, she, she came from such a long way um, where she, you know, lived with her single mom and they, they didn't make a lot of money. And now she's, you know, where she's at. So she was afraid of losing that. And then she decided to not be afraid. Yes, that's it. And that's, you're totally right. And that propelled her forward. And I think that's, that's what I was saying earlier is that that's where we have to do the unlearning, right? Mm. So that we can be like, okay, actually, if I don't have that thing, it's not, the world's not over. Actually, mm. it cracks you open to a whole new possibility of life in front of us and that we can, and we have the ability to reinvent ourselves time and time again, right? We don't have to have the same the job or the same city that we live in that there's so many avenues and roads and trails that we can explore in life. And it's, it isn't just one size fits all. Mm -hmm. uh, and it takes courage. I actually was listening and um, to a different podcast and they were talking about like right now with everything in the pandemic that our normal has been stripped away from us and how people will say like, Oh, I wish life could go back to, to how it was that normal, even if they were feeling not fulfilled in it, but it was a sense of comfort and that we can't actually like, it's literally impossible to grow in a place of comfort because we settle and we become complacent and uh -huh. so many people do. And I think that's really the practice of non-attachment is like, okay, like I'm not in control and this is the situation how am I going to pivot with this? How am I going to sit with this? How, what lessons can I learn from this? And see it as an opportunity rather than a setback. And it can mm. be one thing. It can be a setback, but it's also a pause so we can pivot. Okay, and then after that is brahmacharya, which um, a lot of people say it means moderation. Um, originally, in its like root tradition, it really meant celibacy. Um, but obviously this, the yoga sutras were made for like a householder yogi, like you and me who live and work in the life that we live. So moderation. And it's, I love that so much because it's, it's, again, you have to figure out what moderation means to you individually, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay. We could even talk about the simple things of like, how much am I sleeping? How much am I eating? You know, things like this but we can go into like, how much am I working? Is it, am I like, is my whole life work or is it all leisure? And I really think that it's about finding that equilibrium of that balance. And that even that idea of work-life balance, I think that's, that's so important that there's so much more to life than just pushing forward in a world of work and just to mm -hmm. make ends meet, you know, and and that I think is that push from society is like make more money, work harder because everyone else is doing it. So just grind and go for it. But then we're not even living. 
I know. You know, what's funny is yesterday I made myself take a day off and I, and it's, this is a lifelong like workaholic. I come from workaholics. Like I just, I have it in my DNA, you know, and, and I'm finally getting to the point where I understand, uh, intellectually, I understand you take a whole day off and you get real lazy. You don't do anything. And then by, by the time the next day rolls around, you get so much done on your to-do list. It just, it just flies. It just works. It just, everything's more efficient. And honestly, when I have that in my head on my day off, I'm like, I'm okay. I'm like, I'm going to relax knowing that tomorrow, but it's taken me 34 years to like even get to that place. And it's still, it's still challenging, but that, that's the balance. Cause like, I know, I know I have a tendency to burn myself out as probably many of us Americans do, especially with the pandemic where you're like, well, you know, time is money and you know, there's survival. You look at the news and you, you know, just see all kinds of just upsetting things and then you want to like put that energy that nervous energy into something productive and you can't just get up every day and work like it's groundhog's day like yes (laughs) yes so that that's what i'm going through right now with the balance the um the moderation and that's that's the coolest part is like literally life that's why this work is just so fascinating to me because it's like here's these principles and life will reflect to you what you need to work on, right? And that, and it can change. You're like, oh yeah, okay, that's that's really what life is signaling to me right now. Like, I need to work on my work-life balance. And I will say, like we touched about the pandemic, I I think now it's even more confusing because we're not going, um, people aren't going to the office to work or to their place of work to work. For many of us, it's all at home, and so that work-life line is super blurred and yeah hey i'm like what you know i'm working in my you know same place where i like live and that gets confusing because it does like turn that off and say okay i'm done now it's time for to chill and to be and to live and to explore myself in other ways than just being connected to the the world of work and that i mean we're just talking about one aspect of brahmacharya we could talk about you know our relationships and how that looks and um a relationship you know to yeah to sleep to food to to exercise and i think that when we take time to do this work it will like i said present it to us and and while we move through life i think that also shifts like as as we age as we go through different things it will be like, hey, you're spending too much time, you know, working or you're spending way too much time just like chilling. Like you got to like get something going here. Um, for me, there was a period of time where it was like, I, I love movement. I love exercising and being active. Um, it gives me energy and joy. But there was a time where I was like a workout-aholic, where you were a workaholic that was like, I was like exercising like three plus hours a day. It was insane. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Way too much, not healthy at all. Um, and at that period of time, I was totally avoiding it. Like I didn't want to look at it. Like people would be like, you work out a lot. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. You know, but it just, it kept showing itself to me Mm. until I was like, okay, like this is, what am I doing here? What am I avoiding? 
that that was like my life what my identity and I think that's why this work is just so unique because it speaks to the individual rather than just like here take this this is exactly how you need to live your life so yeah well and I love that you say what are you avoiding like because that that goes I think that goes with anything that you take on in an extreme way like for me with work what am I avoiding is that fear of like not being successful or whatever like there's there, there's you're avoiding something I I think it's an escape is what I'm trying to say that's a, that's a theory anyway yeah like, and there's um I, I think that's great and there's um in um life coaching there is what they call the wheel of life and it looks in, look it looks at like five some schools will look at like eight different areas of life like your family you know, the people you live with or the people that you're like, you know, your blood, your self and your other relationships, your work, career, money, um, your spirituality and um, looking at these. Oh, and your leisure, you're like fun and you're looking at these. And if one area is like over consumed, it's going to affect every other area. And that's or like a pie chart, like yeah. a little pie chart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's a great visual for us to look at and be like, whoa, I'm like really excelling in career and my personal relationships and I've totally neglected my like leisure and fun or my spirituality. And again, that's why Brahmacharya is this like holistic, like, mm -hmm. hey, take a, take a look at your life. Where, where are you investing your energy and your time? And where are you not? basically yeah yeah um so those are the yamas and generally those are really about um your relationship with the rest of the world um i have but again that's a generalization and like we were we were speaking that they're also very much connected to us individually Since we are now in a major world shift and it's even more important now than ever to support one another and stand up for what and who we believe in. And I wanted to have a section in each episode called a spotlight corner and I wanted to highlight black indigenous people of color, LGBTQ plus communities, businesses and organizations specifically in those areas. And let me say in no way is this a paid advertisement or a sponsorship. It's simply people and organizations who I think are awesome. And I would like to show my support in some way. And I hope to inspire you to support them as well. Somewhat recently, I had the wonderful Scout Shavers on the show. When you get a chance, check it out. It's episode 22, Yoga and Birth. Scout is a birth worker, a birth educator, a doula, a yoga teacher, and the founder of the organization Birth Wild Awake. This organization specifically supports Black, Indigenous, people of color, the doulas, as well as the families. The money is strictly used to provide educational scholarships to these doulas seeking mentorships and skill set to support these families. You may or may not already know, but systematic racism starts at birth 
And I really believe in supporting this organization because there is such a need for more support in this particular area of the community. There's a couple of ways you can contribute to her organization. You can either give directly to Birth Wild Awake on Scout's website, scoutwildawake.com forward slash donate. The link to that is in the show notes. There's a donate button that you can click on once you get there, or you can also buy her t-shirts on her website. I have a t-shirt and they are wonderful. They're soft, they fit well, and are high quality. They say on the front of them, Black Birthing Lives Matter. I love mine. I wear it all the time. If you're able, please consider supporting Birth Wild Awake. Um, and then the niyamas are more about our own inner work, you could say. Okay. So first is saucha, which saucha is about the generalization is cleanliness or purity. And we could say, okay, that's about like my hygiene, you know, uh -huh. taking care of myself. Um, and then looking at like the space that we live in, like our home. And I think that actually is very important because how we keep our space can also be a mirror of like what our mind and our hearts look like. Like if we're really like chaotic and disorganized or messy. Um, that might be a reflection of what's going on inside. I completely agree with that. And let me just say again, um, I said this on the previous episode, your gorgeous plants in the background and your beautiful gong, very calm, very serene. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, and it's, for me, like, space, like, actually through this quarantine, I realize I'm so much more of a homebody. Like, I love being in my home, and, like, if I go on a bike ride or run an errand to, like, where, the grocery store or the plant store, I, like, love coming back home. I'm like, oh, my nest. Like, I, I have pride in it because it feels like a sanctuary to me, mm -hmm. and um, I, I actually had a friend um, that, I like felt anxiety going over to their house where there were like boxes everywhere and like clothes constantly piled up and just things everywhere. Like, and they weren't gross by any means. It was just like a pack rat. And it was like, I could feel my energy shift. And I really believe that, you know, if, I just can't even imagine living in, in that space like that. And I'm like, what's going on internally in that person, you know, and that goes back to like non-grasping. It's like we accumulate things, mm -hmm. but it actually creates, it clutters the mind. Clutters. Yeah. The uh, or just, uh, when I think like I have, um, a very, a very plain space, very minimalist space just because it. I, I don't know if it's because I'm tall and I just need lots of room to move yeah. my arms, but, um, but like peace, I, when I, like, I, I cannot concentrate, I cannot meditate, I cannot do, cannot record my videos or whatever interviews. I can't do that. If, if there's like dirty stuff in the corner or there's clutter, I just cannot relax. And maybe, you know, maybe just some people are more sensitive to it than others, but uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't get behind the, the boxes stacked and yes. no, that, that would be gone in like two seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably the Virgo in me. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. I totally think it, it does is, is a reflection. And I think too, we can even think um, this kind of connects to nonviolence. We were talking about the personal narrative, like Satya, like where are our thoughts? You know, what are, what are, what is the content of our mind? Are we, you know, constantly judging not only ourselves, but are we judging others? Are we condemning others? Are we, you know, is our mind gossiping? Even if we're not speaking it, are we thinking ill thoughts about someone that we're in front of, you know, or behind a screen, you know, are we judging? And um, all that is meant to help us look in, you know? Mm that mirroring effect is really powerful. If we allow it to be a lesson to ourselves, like if I see something and it like bothers me, I'm like, well, you know, they might have their own material, but it's, it's triggering. It's activating me something inside of me. Like I got to sit with that. I could avoid it, Mm -hmm. but this is the work. This is the path that I am choosing to work on to, to kind of, okay, there's something there I need to like recycle and, move that energy out well and maybe maybe it's um you know maybe like the word judgment maybe it's like discernment and judgment so Mm -hmm. like um for example we were talking about like the boxes in someone's house can be like triggering it's like the discernment it's discerning to be like no that does not work for me personally you know but it's not judging the other person it's just being like "Mm, this isn't this this is coming up for me because this is a reminder. I need to keep my, my space very clean because yeah. it makes me feel peaceful. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Love that. Discernment yeah. versus judgment. Yes. And we, we have the intelligence to discern. I think we just need to start becoming more conscious of those two. Of mm. when, you know what I mean? It's a spectrum. I think that's what it is. And we can easily yeah. move from discernment to judgment really quickly. Yes. Um, Fine line. Yeah. yeah. Um, so cleanliness, I just love it. And I, you know, I even think about, um, I was speaking to people in the beginning of quarantine that, um, about these topics. And a lot of people were saying that in the beginning they felt, um, not motivated and would like be in their pajamas all day and like not shower and their space wasn't kept tidy and that they were, they lacked, um, self-confidence in their themselves and a sense of well-being because they weren't just you know, taking care of themselves on a physical level. And I think that even goes to like, um, our diet. And I'm not saying that there's one diet that everyone should have, but, you know, treating our bodies like this living, breathing temple, um, and being more respectful to it because ultimately we feel that how we treat ourselves. Yes. And it's, you know, it's important work. And I think it, um, especially in yoga, it can be very much like, oh, are you a vegan? Do you have this, this life? But that, that's where I gravitate towards. I, I used to be very strongly vegan. Um, it didn't serve me. Um, but again, I, I'm not a fan of things that become very dogmatic. Yes. I think it actually moves us away from the point and purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. Santosha. Oh, love it. Contentment. <laughs> So contentment um, to me is, it's an art form, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's um, a conscious living and choosing not just, you know, we could say gratitude, but it's, it's also accepting the way things are. 
and not being in a place of resistance. So I, I think more of contentment is being able to learn how to go with the flow. And so that's why I say it's like an art form. It's like a paint stroke, you know, it's just kind of fluid and more organic rather than just like this linear life that we're like, nope, this is how life should be. And that's when we create rigidity and resistance. If we're like, this is it, this is the one path. But life is like, you know, a river of stream. <laughs> what a great one for right now during the pandemic. Like that is it's like, and the heat. Like as we're filming this, it's in August uh, in Texas. And, <laughs> and things can get real serious because it's like, it doesn't, it's so fiery right now and hot and the go with the flow. Yes, right now. Yeah. And <laughs> you put out that meditation about being in the ocean and I'm like, yes water and that fluid nature is just so healing and cathartic and that's why I like to think of contentment like that of it's just like gentle nature you know we don't know we have no idea we can't force it we can't predict it and the more we do that the more we feel that like fire that heat that resistance that like clenching the stress um mm -hmm. and I think there's an openness to it. And I think that's why it's an art. Like you have to practice it um, and notice it. Notice when you have the tendency to be resisting um, because it, you might project that energy to someone else. Um, mm. You might be a little bit more hostile or, you know, creating more tension within your body. And the moment we can say, oh, whoa, I'm being a little bit rigid here. Why? And I think it goes back to that, the ego of like, this is the way it should be, but we mm. don't know the way it should be. Yeah. Finite beings. <laughs> we can only see through these two eyes. We can't see the whole picture, the whole perspective. And I think it's an act of humility as well. Mm. It, so it really is an art. I, I, that was one of the um, niyamas that I was kind of, like, oh, gratitude. So I love the way you explain that because I actually did not know that depth of it. So thank you for enlightening, enlightening me on that. Yeah. And I think to me that, you know, I'll have people ask me like, where do you get that sense of joy from and, and, and peace? And, you know, it's not like I'm happy go lucky all the time. Um, you know, we're emotional human beings, right? Yeah. But I think that this, that's the work is, is Santosha is like, wow, you know, and perspective of like, we, we have, you know, if we're living in America in this day and age, right, literally, especially as a woman, we have a lot of freedom that wasn't there before. And we have mm. access to so much more than we have in our lives and freedom of choices and places of work. And um, I think that perspective, I just is so humbling and it makes me so appreciative of, whoa, like, yes, it can, yes, it's a hard time right now for so many people on so many different levels. Um, but at the same time, we have an, we do have an abundance. And I think it's a choice to see it and that way. And with the abundance and with all this, there is a lot of possibility for greater things. There's a lot of optimism potentially for the future, knowing we have all these resources around us. And yes. Yeah. 
And I think that that's perfect, that potential. And I think people are starting to wake up to that, like, whoa, I have these resources and I can do something better with them. I can make mm -hmm. the world a better place with them. That's one side. I mean, there's people on the other side that maybe are taking those <laughs> another way. It's another conversation, but yeah. yeah, we have, it's, that's why it's an art. We have so much to choose from. The color that we get to choose from and explore life with is, is endless. Um, so there's three more, um, tapas, which is discipline or zeal. And I think it's really unique that it's right after Santosha. It's like, mm. hey, be content. And then it's like, have some motivation and discipline. <laughs> um, I think that's intelligently designed that way and structured that way. It's because Santosha isn't to say like, be complacent. That's not Santosha. Um, and so that's where we get tapas is like, how are you going to show up today? Like what's getting you out of bed? How are you going to better yourself today? What are you going to bring into life? How are you going to connect with those around you? Um, how are you going to expand your mind? To me, this is tapas. Yeah. And it's also like, Hey, you're going to show up on your mat. Like, are you going to follow up with your, your list, your goals, your things that you value? Are you going to show up and actually do them? Right. Because there's uh -huh. a lot in life where we can say, Oh, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And then we're like, mm, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> maybe next, uh -huh. next month. Right. And that's top us. It's like, Hey, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. Mm. Sticking to it. Sticking to it. Yeah. And, and showing up and, and putting in the work. Right. And mm -hmm. I think too, it's like, we have to also, you know, yoga isn't just being complacent and there is a sense that we are called to something bigger and greater and we have to be active in that pursuit. And yeah, especially now, like I've been really thinking about like, what does that look like in, in this day and age of how do I show up more actively? Um, mm -hmm. not just in my life and my, in my own personal work, but in my community, what does that look like? Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that, but it's been something I've been contemplating for sure. So I ask you, yeah. I wanted to ask you a question about tapas, um, yeah. about having discipline because, um, and maybe, maybe I'm just thinking of myself and my personality, or maybe I'm thinking of myself and my friends that I know that are like this, but what is, how do you separate between being disciplined and being hard on yourself mm -hmm. on the mat? Do you see what I'm saying? Cause it could go really far. Yes. Having yes. goals and like getting a little too intense. Yeah. Especially in terms of like, um, even if we're looking at the asana on the mat, like, Oh, I got to be able to do this posture or mm -hmm. you know, going, falling back to criticism or judgment or comparison especially mm -hmm. I mean, now it's a little bit different because we're not in a studio setting, but that, that layer is definitely there. Um, and I think that's again, going back to like Santosha's right before it. It's like mm. first and then put in the effort. And it's good like, point. Good point. Yeah. Be okay with where you are. And, and I think too, it's that whole idea of like, as, as silly as it sounds, it's like the tortoise and the hare, right? Like, they're both on the same path in a per se, but they're going uh -huh. about it in different ways. The, the, the hair is like, my aim is just to finish the race uh -huh. as fast as I can. And the tortoise is like, I know I'm going to get there. I'm just going to like take my time and enjoy this uh -huh. process. Um, 
think that's it. We have a whole life. Um, you know, it feels like a blink of an eye when we look back on it, but we have, you know, 12 hours a day or more that we can be actively engaging with life and material. And I think that's like waking up and taking each day as like a gift. And it's what am I, how am I going to open this gift? And I don't want to take it for granted, but at the same time, like I don't need to, I don't need to open 10 gifts. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't need to open the 10th gift like down the road. It's like, this is what you have today. This is the energy that you have. Maybe you're feeling a little bit slower. Okay, work with that. It's, um, uh -huh. you know, have you read The Four Agreements with Don Miguel Ruiz? A long time ago, yeah. 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 One of the four agreements is always do your best or do your best. Mm. And, and that doing your best can change every day, every moment. And I think that's such a beautiful way to look at it. It's like, hey, maybe I show up on my mat today and I'm really energized and ready to go and I'm feeling it. And then mm -hmm. the next day I'm like, hey, I really need to be more grounded. There might be a moment where we're like, I should be able to push it like I did yesterday or show up like I did yesterday. But that's the compassion. That's the contentment is saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not there right now. And this is what my practice is today. But I'm oh. still my best. That totally makes sense, having them in that order, uh, yeah. Santosha and Tapas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the last two, um, I, the order is really unique. The last two are Svadhyaya, which is always fun to say, um, <laughs> which is self-study. Um, and in, in that umbrella of self-study is like taking the time to read scriptures or ancient texts. Um, and to follow that one is Ishvari Pranidhana, which is surrendering to something bigger than yourself. And I think they go hand in hand. So self-study is, actually I was thinking about this on my run today of, we are largely the company we keep. And I will say when I was in that mode of like exercising an insane amount of time, the circle that I was in, that's what their focus was on. And oh, so, okay. you know, I, in hindsight, I can see that. And I was like absorbing and like chameleon-esque into that image, that, that specific small circle. Um, and to see that and be like, whoa, like it's really important and imperative to really become aware of our social circles that we are mm -hmm. in. And that is part of self-study is having time to reflect and notice and also being aware that our community is really a reflection of who we are and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And, and then also like, what are we reading? What, what accounts are we following on social media? You know, what movies are we watching? What um, podcasts are we watching? Hopefully this uh -huh. <laughs> um, material that's going to um, upgrade us, up level us. Just like mm -hmm. when you have an iPhone, that or like a phone that needs to be an upgraded onto a new device or um, a new software, and you're like, eh, I don't really want to, but you know in the end that it's going to be better, right? Mm -hmm. That self study is like you're going to put in the work. You maybe want to like do like super Netflix and chill and watch something like you know easy peasy, um, and that's fine. But then there's also like, yeah, but I also need to be challenged or maybe there's something there that is going to help me if it's thought provoking. And I think that's what self-study is. It's 
it's reflection and inquiry, but it's also being curious of what material you're digesting. Mm. Really aware of what you're ingesting in your mind, who you're around. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And now that I think about where I am right now, I'm like, wow, I have so many human beings that are living a very inspiring, motivated, fulfilling life and are seeking to do better in the world. And I, I'm so grateful that that's, you know, that my reflection and it's, it is inspires me to keep going in that direction. So that is self study. And then surrendering Ishvara Pranidhana, um, that can mean surrendering to the divine and that, but it can also mean surrendering to your highest self, um, the universe, whatever you want to call that. But it's, it's remembering that, you know, we aren't in control. Mm. Yes, we are in control of the choices that we make and how we respond to them. But in the larger sense, you know, we didn't, some will say we willed our lives here, but in some sense, we just, we didn't choose, you know, consciously our, our parents, our upbringing, right? Um, yeah. It just happened. And I think that's the sense of Ishvari Pranadana is surrendering to that nature. Mm. It sounds like acceptance. There's a, sort of a thread of acceptance throughout all these. Yes. And coming to terms with the reality of it. Yes. And I think that's how they build on each other so wonderfully is like, we start with these very practical things of like nonviolence and non-stealing and truthfulness and non-attachment right and moderation then we go into this inner work of cleanliness and being content and then what's your drive and your motivation and then it's like look at look within have inquiry self-study so that we can surrender mm. and That's i think beautiful. that there's a release in that too it's it's shavasana this, this i love it yeah <laughs> that's perfect like, okay corpse pose here i am like i'm totally releasing it's a very vulnerable position if you think you know to have like your vital organs exposed your eyes closed your full body taking up space and it's releasing all effort and settling mm. into the earth and feeling held and trusting your body to relax that's that's it that's the practice and then we roll over into the fetal position and we begin again. And it's like, all right, check in, begin, refresh, reset. Beautiful ritual. Yeah. It, yeah, totally. Oh, I love yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it just keeps going, right? Never ends. Um, what can possibly get away, get in the way of listening to your inner moral compass in your opinion? And you've kind of touched on some of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, definitely what you're drawing in, like what you're listening to, like how often are you listening to the news? What news sources are you listening to? What is the company you're keeping? that can really cloud that inner moral compass, especially because everyone has such unique values or lack of values. And that can kind of disturb 
or move your compass right into a different your true north it can kind of adjust it to a different setting so, and, and and i go back to that period of time where i was in that community that was like exercise everything um and it really disturbed my moral compass i lost it and you know i wasn't practicing we'll say like because of that my brahmacharya my moderation was off and it really impacted oh. everything in my life and I, it was like i let life literally felt upside down and i had to do a lot of interpersonal work to readjust my moral compass and say whoa what happened there like there was a complete disturbance in the force you could say in my life and that's why it's so imperative to just be mindful of what you're drawing in around you what you're listening to what you're reading um, and, and to show up every day with this work it's not just like okay i have these things and they kind of live in the background of my life but it's every day checking in with them mm -hmm. So my curiosity about that is maybe if someone out there who's listening, who hears like, oh man, I can kind of feel like I've lost my moral compass. I'm hanging out with people and it's been skewing and skewing and skewing. Um, I would imagine there's some sort of self-doubt role in there um, because, you know, if you've lost, if you've lost that moral compass, I would imagine you've lost your sense of self on a, some level. Yes. And then there's, there's probably self-doubt like well how do i get my com compass back on track how do i come back to my true north and then you might doubt that like am i even is do i even trust that i know what that looks like what would you say to that yeah yeah i think that is the time when you're feeling in that space which we all will go through is to take time and be alone with yourself to really look and examine what's going on in your life. I think journaling is such a powerful tool to help you see what's happening. And with, with journaling, you know, there might even be, you know, coming back, looking at this list of this, of these 10 limbs or these eight, uh, 10 moral principles, and checking in with them um, mm -hmm. and just noticing the shifts that are taking place and asking yourself, what do you really want in life? And mm. are you really, are you enjoying the direction you're going? And to know that you have the power to change direction, just like a ship, you know, they're like, Oh, we are totally off course. And it's like, we need to reset our sails and shift direction here it can feel hard and it can feel glitchy in the beginning, but it's like that upgrade of the phone. It's like, okay, I'm up leveling. And in that change and shift of course, there's gonna be um, a change in relationships or maybe a career change or how I'm spending my time or you know what I'm eating or um, what do my evenings look like? You know, Am I spending every night choosing to drink five drinks or whatever it is mm -hmm. having that honest compassionate observant sense of self is imperative or else we'll wake up five years from now and be like what happened where am i 
Yeah, that is great advice. Um, realizing you have choices and then observing, really observing what's going on in your life and yeah. questioning that. What's not working? What is working? And I think finally for me, it was also, to be real honest, it's perhaps even making the choice of like, you need external help, someone to reflect mm -hmm. back to you. So whether that's a mentor, a life coach, or a therapist, and some of those levels, just to sit with you and say, speak out what's going on so that they can say, so I'm hearing what you're saying is da 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 da. Uh -huh. So, say, oh my gosh, like, yes, you're right. Because we can get so lost in our own thought and our own world that we can't see. Yeah. And to your point of saying, if you know, who you're surrounded by will, can affect you greatly. If, if, you don't have a neutral person like a therapist, like a mentor, like a life coach, neutrally reflecting things back to you and you only have your friends, you're going to be stuck. Yep. Exactly. Would you say that the inner, your inner teacher is similar or different to the moral compass? I think they become more cohesive and connected the longer you practice it. I think mm. that inner guidance, that inner teacher is always there. It just needs a little bit more of directionality, like a blueprint, um, so that the inner teacher can have something to follow or, mm. else, or else it gets lost in all the voices that we are presented with on any day that it's like, oh, that sounds like I'm going to pull from that. I mean, if you think about it, even now on social media, you see – um, you see a post or something and we read it and we, we might just be so quick to accept it as truth, but we haven't even allowed ourselves to think about it, process it, question it, reflect on it, um, integrate it. You know, we're just so quick, but if we have something to compare, compare things to and with like the eight limbs, like the, the yamas and niyamas, and if it doesn't feel, if it doesn't fit, then it's like, um, let that bounce off me um, because it's not, it's not reinforcing this compass and it's not reinforcing that inner teacher. Mm, so they work together, the inner teacher and the moral compass. That's, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. For me, that works. It's like, whoa. And then my inner teacher knows, like, this is where we're going. Christine, is this, is this really like an opportunity you want to pursue? And then you can check in. You uh -huh. have a and you're like, mm, actually, that doesn't, that's not in alignment with any of what you're trying to follow and pursue right now. So pass, you know what I mean? It's like what you were yeah. saying, you know what I mean? And her being able to feel more free by mm. saying no and creating these boundaries. And that's also what this moral compass does. It creates boundaries for ourselves. So we're not overly stimulated or energized by everything that's coming at us. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I love that. So in your previous episode you did for the podcast, Yoga and Living Life Off the Mat, would you say that the moral compass uh, relationship with self could uh, take, take with you off your mat? I think you said that in the beginning, but would you want to elaborate on little ways you could do that off yeah, the mat? You're totally right. It is living your life off your mat. It's like you can practice all these uh, yamas and niyamas on your mat too. And... Ooh which is a great place to start actually. Like you're on your mat and you notice you're critiquing yourself or judging yourself. Are you practicing nonviolence in that moment? Maybe mm -hmm. not, 
know, right? Are, are you comparing yourself? Are you practicing Santosha, right? Are, are you taking child's pose just because, or could you be in downward dog and stay committed and that's going to actually serve you today in that moment that, you know, mm-hmm. practicing tapas, um, you know, are you, are you only doing power based classes? Are you allowing for yin restorative meditation? That's brahmacharya, that balance. Mm-hmm. In asana, right? um, so I think that's where it's a great place to start. It's very physical. It's very practical. And then all of a sudden you'll start, if you are interested in this work, it will naturally start showing up for you. And in the beginning, I'll say that um, it might feel like a lot to remember. So Mm -hmm. one way that I started to think about them was on my runs, I would start going through all the 10 in my mind. And a lot of times I would forget one of them. I'd be like, what is that 10th one? Like, I can't, like, why am I losing it? And then something will happen that day and it will be the exact teacher that I needed. And it was the one Yama or Niyama that I actually forgot. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like literally without fail. And it'll be like, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So if you're really doing the work, I swear the universe is like, all right, if you're really doing this, I'm going to show you you're missing this and I'm going to help you reinforce, reinforce this principle in your life. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do that like when you're in your meditation or on a walk, you know. What are you curious about right now? Yeah. um, I'm really fired up about um, the yoga culture right now and how we are or the lack of what we're doing in terms of being a community of love and light. And we, you know, we say that we are this place of love and light, but are we really showing up in this way? And that's why I'm more now empowered by these principles of we have to embody what we say we, we preach, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we can end class and say namaste and all these things and say we're compassionate and say we're doing the work, but it's not until we're actually living it. And I think that, um, I'm seeing this and my previous life of this level of hypocrisy, right, in, in my religious, very Christian days um, that I would see, and not everyone, you know, I'm just saying that there's some that will say that they believe X, Y, and Z, and then not actually live a life that lives in mm-hmm. accordance with it. And I think that's the same thing in the yoga world, too. And um, that's what I'm really curious about. How are we as yogis and teachers and, and students doing this work on a more powerful level than just saying, you know, I'm a yogi because I practice asana. And that's fine if you do. Um, Beautiful, you know, especially if you just want to stay in that place. But if you're really trying to live this life, there's, there's a calling, there's an opportunity to awaken. And we can't stay asleep anymore. It's Mm -hmm. like, hey, you guys are meant to be this community that feels safe and comfortable and free for people to express and be vulnerable. But what else? You know, there's something more there. Yeah, yoga is more than just postures. There's more depth to it. There's a whole philosophy. And we are being called right now to step up 
and some some are stepping up in the background doing background work yes. and then some are more in the foreground but yeah you just you just want everyone to be somewhat on the same page of love and light and wanting to help and wanting to be of service and yeah. yeah. And I think you said that so beautifully too. It's, it's not everyone needs to be, you know, on front stage doing this work. And a lot of it is this self study and looking within. And that is so important because if we're not doing that, then we're really not going to make lasting change. Right. And if we do that interpersonal work, that will be nourishment to, to go out and be more proactive in whatever way that looks like. Um, mm -hmm. But there is, there is a, it's like a knock on the door. It's like, okay, like, you ready? Like, I'm ready for you. We need you in some capacity to up level. And I think there is this global awakening. And I and saw this conversation with Eckhart Tolle and Russell Brand and Eckhart Tolle was saying that as an, as the world itself is going through this pandemic and the climate of everything that's happening, it's like, you can't, it's every day it's something new, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like the universe itself is saying, Hey, this is a great awakening. And, and Eckhart Tolle was basically saying that people will have two choices. One, to awaken to the illusion, the Maya that we've been living in and up level and upgrade and connect and unlearn so that we can learn and be, you know, be better, do better. And then there's on the other side, people are going to regress to fear and ego and more division. And so really that's the choice. And I think especially for choosing a path of yoga. It's like, okay, there's, there's, like you said, there's more than just the posture. Great. Yeah. How do you reset personally these days? Um, I've shared before, I love restorative yoga and especially when I feel overwhelmed or exhausted or just need a break legs up 15, 20 minutes is such a remedy for me. Um, but I realized just the other day that I haven't left Austin since January, since everything happened. So and the heat, like you said, is getting really fiery. So, um, my partner and I were taking a trip, driving socially distanced into the mountains of New Mexico tomorrow. Um, oh, awesome. yeah. So nature for me is, is a great reset just to to be in earth and soil and trees and sun and sky and mm. not city, not sound, not vibration of, you know, that energy. So yeah. Mexico is so awesome. Where are you going in New Mexico? Near Rio Doso, um, okay. Cloudcroft. Okay. I don't know that area. I, yeah, um... I haven't been to Cloudcroft, but um, it's near Lincoln National Forest. So Ooh. Um, I just want to hike and literally be like a mini trip off the grid for a little bit yeah oh that's gonna be so awesome yes much needed on on this show we like to celebrate quirkiness yes so would you care to share with us three quirky things about you i love this um well i feel quite quirky as an individual <laughs> um quirky thing something um i am kind of a dork in the greatest sense that I have no shame about it. I love it. 
um, I'll just like sing random songs or tunes or um, around the house during the day. And, you know, I can't, I don't have like tone or rhythm at all. So they don't sound nice, but it's just, <laughs> it's just fun and it makes me smile and it feels playful. Um, I love that. Yeah, so that's one quirky thing. Um, let's see. I, I, um, oh, I named all my plants. Ooh. That's quirky, I guess. Um, yeah, some are named after, like, um, family members. <laughs> okay. And then some are named after, yeah, it's fun. Like, actually behind me is, like, Ann and Gary, who are my parents. And <laughs> that's cute. But then over here, we have Ganesh and Durga. Oh, okay. So, yeah, and they're... <laughs> <laughs> so when I like water them and we take care of them, I'll kind of speak to them and yeah. I'm like, how are you doing? One's actually named after me. Which one's that? Is it in the background? Oh, the okay. Bird. And she was struggling for a little bit. So that's, it was great to be like, take care of her and see her grow and expand. Uh-huh. So like, how are you doing, Christine? It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, last thing. What's another quirky thing about me? Um, I have random dance parties. Oh, I love it. Yes. Always. Very Zoe De Chanel of you, all these quirky things. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just important to laugh. I think that's where I seek my quirkiness is to take life less seriously. I love it. Where can people find you? Um, the best places on um, social media is on Instagram. Um, it's at Christine underscore Anderson underscore yoga. Um, find me there, reach out to me. I'd love to try to respond and connect. And then also in relationship to what we're talking about, I have a course on the eight limbs mm -hmm. and it is through a company called my vinyasa practice. The link is in my bio on Instagram and it goes through all the eight limbs. Um, and there's a, an asana practice that accompanies each limb and some journal prompts and material mm -hmm. to dive deeper. So if you're interested, that's there. That sounds so awesome. Yeah, so check that out and I'll put all that info in the show notes. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show and I hope to have you back again soon. Thank you so much. It was such a joy and honor. You're lovely. Well, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode about yoga and the moral compass with the knowledgeable Christine Anderson. If you would like to connect with Christine, all of her info is in the show notes. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. We very much appreciate word of mouth advertising from our listeners. Please consider joining our Patreon. There are great member perks such as shout outs on the show, virtual yoga, we even send you podcast stickers and a love note when you sign up. You can find that out in the show notes. If you would like to help the podcast in a different way, please leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. If you would like to email us, our email is yogaandpodcast at gmail.com. The and is spelled out, Y-O-G-A-A-N-D, podcast at gmail. Please follow us on Instagram, Yoga and Podcast, and let us know if you have any specific topics request for future episodes. 
We now have merch such as coffee mugs, tote bags, and t-shirts. And you can find out more on my website, ashleyweberyoga.com forward slash podcast. Remember, this podcast is for everybody. If you are a human living on planet Earth, you might benefit from listening to Yoga and Podcast. See you next week.